This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Monday morning, everybody. We're back live, and I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 21st, episode 2523, brought to you today by Kevin Equang. Good morning, Horse World. It's Monday. Monday is my favorite time of This is Horses in the Morning with your lovable hosts, Jamie Jennings. I am the queen. You listen to me. I'm sorry that people are so jealous of me, but I can't help it that I'm popular. Glenn the Geek. You look especially radiant today, your grace. I'm going to do a terrific show today because I'm good enough and doggone it, people like me. Happy Monday. Hello, everybody. It's Monday. I, you know, I struggled a little bit with that show opener, Glenn, because I was like, what? How is it September 21st already? It is. Where did September go? It's crazy. 2020 go. <laughs> 2020. You know what? A lot of people would like 2020 to go faster, though. Maybe, maybe oh, getting 2020 gosh. over with is better. You know what's really going to suck is when people realize 21, 2021 still sucks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's not going to end. Uh, newsflash. It's December not going to end. Yes, yeah, right. December 31st. Everybody's healed. The virus has gone away. Everybody got their jobs back and we're all back. We're all back to normal. January 1st, somebody wakes up. They're like, wow, I feel great. Everything. Wait. Oh, no. There's still hurricanes and fires and <laughs> viruses. Never mind. I'm not going to be negative. Let's be positive. Yes. That's I would right. like to thank everybody for joining us today. We are going to have president elect for the U.S. Equestrian Tom Omaron. And we've got some of your really sad equestrian first world problems that we have to share. So that is what we are going to do today. I'm excited to have Tom on. He has, as we said, he is president-elect of U.S. Equestrian. He's been a host here on the Horse Radio Network on the podcast for the collegiate side of things for years. So I know Tom really well. He's been here to the house. And I am so excited that he's going to be the president of U.S. Equestrian. And we're going to talk to him today about, you know, have a little bit about his past. You're going to kind of get to meet him and find out who he is. I I haven't found one negative comment about him coming on as president. And in today's world, <laughs> that's impossible to find a negative comment, uh, no negative comments about anything. So He's beloved yes, already. it is. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, you know, it is time to do our new listener disclaimer. If you're a new listener here to the show, we've been doing this a long time. So give it about a week to get used to it and to kind of catch up. Uh, you know, we've been together, Jamie and I, doing this for 10 years, 2,500 episodes. So, And a lot of our listeners have been along for the entire 10 years. So we uh, we might talk about something, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. We try and explain it as best we can uh, without boring the longtime listeners. So just hang with it for about a week. You'll get used to us. And then you might even like us in two to three weeks, uh, you know. And uh, you'll hang around after that. The way the show works is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's Jamie and I. 
And then Tuesdays and Thursday, we have special monthly episodes. Like tomorrow will be the Western episode that's hosted by Tara Carter. And she'll be here hosting that episode all about the Western riding world. And then on uh, Thursday, we have the sales and breeding episode. Uh, so, you know, we do different monthly episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So, so you get a little break from Jamie and I. So a lot of people, they don't like us. They listen to some of the Tuesdays and Thursdays or vice versa. Glenn so, will grow on you like yes. really slowly. Yes, like you're going to love like Jamie to begin with. <laughs> that creeps up on you and like moves up your leg. That's Glenn for you. you just He's like a toe fungus that just spreads a little bit. And then you start to really like if it was gone, you would miss it. And you're going to learn very quickly that Jamie is not opinion, opinion, opinionated about anything. Nothing. No. no she's no. not opinionated at all. However, Jamie is a certified Monty Roberts instructor, so she actually knows a little bit about horses and training and things like that. I am a horse husband. Now, I've done 6,000 of these episodes, so I've picked up a thing or two. And I'm also a carriage driver, and I have a pony named Scooter. So uh, that's uh, where we're at. That's who we are. And Somebody asked me just the other day, yeah. oh, you have horses. What kind of horse? Horses do you have? And I was like, huh, let me tell you what a breed snob I am. I'm like, I have an Oldenburg and an Andalusian <laughs> and a Mustang and a thoroughbred and a mutt. So I have a little bit of everything. And you've had everything literally over the years. I mean, literally everything. I mean, what's it? How do you know what your favorite flavor ice cream is if you don't try them all? That's true. That is true. I might have tried a few flavors over the weekend, too. Ice cream, that is. Uh, <laughs> now, one of the things we do to start, and we've done this from the very beginning, is we do some daily winnies. It's kind of our way of giving a shout out to some of our longtime listeners and others in the horse world. So here's mine. <laughs> Well, happy birthday to a couple of our auditors. And auditors are basically our super fans, longtime listeners who pay as little as $3 a month to join the Auditor Club. They have their own private Facebook room, which is very active in there and a very positive, ex, a very positive place to be. We have, they also get prizes and they get to review products and all that kind of stuff. So happy birthday to our auditors, Kelly Portner and Jody Hawk. Happy birthday to both of you. Let we me stop you. Let me stop you. Because on Friday, you were not here, and you left a list of birthday names. And I took took the role of doing the birthdays. You know, of course, I'm, I'm with Debbie, who I do birthdays, and she, like, thanks the firefighters for risking their lives. So I felt belittled a little bit, but <laughs> that's fine. So I did the birthdays, and um, you forgot one. I did. So, Tanya Fleming, happy birthday. Well, you know, the way I find out about their birthday, and I think I am friends with her, so I don't know that I can use this argument, but uh, the way I do find out about the birthdays is if I'm friends with them on Facebook, that's how I find out about the birthdays. So if I'm not friends, I can't find out. So I, I, I'm going to go with I probably am friends and just missed it. So sorry, Tanya. I'm very sorry. Happy birthday, belated. <laughs> and also, and it is a big deal. I saw one of the listeners, uh, auditors posted last week that they were in the car with their kids and they heard their name and a happy birthday and their kids thought they were really cool because they were on the radio. So They're famous. Mom's famous. <laughs> Mom's famous. That's right. My child thinks what I do is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. 
Uh, new auditors, we had a couple new ones last week, and we want to thank them for joining the party. Katie Thompson and Lawyer Robertson, welcome to both of you. And if you're not part of the auditor group, look for HRN Auditors on Facebook and ask to join. And now it's Jamie's turn. Well, one of the benefits of being an auditor is there's this Facebook page and the Facebook page is where you get to post, you know, things that are only happy, positive things. And one of my favorite people uh, posted over the weekend that they went to a horse show and that for uh, listeners that know her, it's Laureen. Laureen is my Jersey friend who's from Brooklyn and I don't know, she sounds like she lives in, you know, Brooklyn, but anyway, she posted uh, that she went to her first ever horse show. She's wearing her HRN mask, oh, by yay, the way. Oh, Lorraine. Good job. And um, she said, we first time uh, showing, we did a beginner trail class, and she's got a beautiful green ribbon on her horse's face, and um, she said it was last place. So she is your soulmate. She is my soulmate because <laughs> I I tend to take the crazies to the shows and and there's a there's a very distinct honor in becoming last place and that is the DFL award and eventing the DFL award is you finished with a number, not a letter, which a letter in eventing to finish with is like RF, ride or fall, uh, E, eliminated, R-E-T, uh, retired. So you finished with a number and the DFL award stands for dead freaking last. Although I didn't say freaking. Um, so uh, congratulations, Laureen. You are in the super club of the DFL award and they should have that. You fit right in here, Lorraine. <laughs> proud of you, girl. We're Way to go. Proud. And you know what you were showing. So you went out and did that. it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Next time you'll get next to last and work your way up. Work your way up. Yeah. I mean, you can't win Lorraine. your first show. I mean, yeah. what kind of expectation does that set up? That's right. And then there's pressure. This way, there's no pressure. You can only go up positive side, Lorraine. Hey, I also want to congratulate one of our auditors, Jason Knight. He said, uh, so I did a thing last night. I went to an Amish farm sellout sale, an auction, in hopes of coming home with a nice little filly. My wife had one thing to say before the sale. No buying studs or colts. Well, fast forward two hours later, I texted her, um, so I bought a weanling stud colt. Oh, God. <laughs> And that's what her wife, his wife said. So he did. He bought a wing, wingling stud colt. Have you ever been to an Amish horse auction? No, but I, I said to him, I was like, congratulations on getting a colt. Geld that yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so, and then he proceeds to write down, no, I won't geld this one because the sire sold for, at a different sale, $95,000. And I'm like... Do horses go for $95,000 at Amish auctions? Yes, is the answer. So I we live, grew up in Lancaster County. So when I met Jennifer, and auctions, by the way, in Lancaster County, whether it's household estate auctions, somebody died and they're selling all the contents, they happen, there's, there's 50 of them every weekend. Auctions are huge, and the Amish flood to these auctions. And they're huge everywhere. My dad used to be a woodworker. He'd buy all his wood and his equipment and everything at auctions. So we went to auctions all the time. Then I met Jennifer, and she went to horse auctions all the time. Now, you have to know, you have to be in the know to know about the Amish horse auctions, which are the ones that are held on a farm. 
away from the English, that's us, the white people, away from us. Um, and But you can go if you hear about it. So we did. And I bought two horses, by the way. I bought two horses at the Amish auction. I bought you two ponies. Were, yes. You know what? She was like, I'm going to marry that guy. <laughs> My first hackney pony was bought at an Amish auction. So the And there are hundreds of people there. It is an event in the Amish world to go to these auctions. And I just about fell over. They're driving. They're good driving horses. It would be like our Ferraris, our driving cars. We have our everyday cars, and then we have our driving cars, right? Well, they have the same thing in horses. So they have their fancy driving horses. Well, they were selling for forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. And they're what? basically standard breads off the track is what they are. Um, yeah, they would go. And, if you, it, and then the youngsters. So if you had an 18, 19-year-old just sowing his oats and had to get his first horse, like get the first car, some of them. You could tell who was buying them. Some of them were spending $20,000 on their first horse. It was, Hold and this on. is 30 years wrong, ago. <laughs> I'm in the wrong off track business. Okay. I train off the track thoroughbreds. Yes. This seems like a more lucrative market to get now, into. Now, your average plug, we're going for, and this was 30 years ago. Keep that in mind. Uh, the average plug was going for three, four, five thousand dollars. Now I bought my ponies for fifteen hundred maybe each. I bought a really fat one, really fat one that uh, we had trouble with the, uh, the whole time we had her. We called her the station wagon. And then I bought the Hackney Pony. What we didn't know about the first, my first Hackney Pony, and we got papers and then looked her up. She was the Ohio State Roadster Champion, which means that pony was fast. (laughs) It was like like driving a Ferrari. had no idea what I was doing. That was dangerous. But yeah, so they're quite a thing. And then at this particular auction on this farm, they would make steak dinners. If you bought a horse, you got a free steak dinner. Oh, well, sign me up. (laughs) Now, the other thing about that you need to learn about Amish sales, and Jason will back this up. If if there's an Amish person that wants the horse that you want, you're not going to outbid an Amish person. You're not going to win. They'll Can just I ask outbid the you. The obvious question. They pay with cash too, by the way. Big of wads of cash in their pocket. And and the obvious question is, where does that cash come from? Well, that's a good question. And growing up in Lancaster County, we asked that question. They make a lot of money farming, and they all have side businesses. Plus, they don't spend money. You have to remember, they're spending. They're not going out to eat all the time. They're spending a lot less money. They grow most of their own food. They have twenty five kids that are doing the garden. You know, so. It, they spend a lot less, I think, as part of it. Uh, plus, but how the, do they make money? The, like, I mean, there's only so many. Amish well, most of them are woodworkers that, now and all that stuff. So it used to be just the farm would make them the money, but that's not true anymore. And a lot of them are dairy farmers and things like that. But but I, they all have sidelines. They build houses. They build buildings. They you know the carpenters. They they have all kinds of sidelines now too. But yeah, and off of us is how they make their money. By the way, off of the English, as they would say, is how is how they make their money. And I told we, you my Amish experience because I lived east of Cleveland. Yeah, you, um, you were in, in Amish country too, the, right? like Trumbull, uh, Mesopotamia area. Yeah, so I worked at South Farm, and uh, which is a big eventing facility. And there was one bar. Of course, I would drive to work, and it was like one car to every eight buggies. Were they black buggies there or different colors? Black. Black. Okay. All black. Um, and that's a weird question. I didn't know they came. Yeah, there's the other some color. parts of Pennsylvania where they have yellow ones and white ones. Yeah. Well, there was one bar that had some pool tables, and you would always see, like, when you would go out, there would be, you know, you were sitting there having a couple drinks at the bar, and a bunch of Amish kids would come in, and then they go straight to the bathroom. 
And then they'd come out wearing completely it took an, different clothes. Oh, they changed. <laughs> they changed in the bathroom. And then before they would go home, we'd see them all go back into the bathroom, put their clothes back on and go. Like, how do they, do they hide that? Yes. And then there was, you would be riding along the road uh, the in the arena next to the road. And then there would be a buggy coming down with like, I don't know. 25 teenagers hanging yes. off of it with, with a the, boom box with the music going yeah <laughs> music blasting i was like where am i what is happening in this weird that's before place? they join the church they get they heard a rumspringa that's what they before they join the church they get away with a lot <laughs> <laughs> i guess so <laughs> hey a couple other things uh so anyway there's your advice took a weird turn this morning i, know. I didn't mean to talk about the amish <laughs> but i i mean i i worked with, and did hay with a bunch of them. We would stack hay in the summer. It They're was hard a, workers. An interesting, yeah. They are hard workers. Experience. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people bust on proud to treat their horses. And what we found, because we were, you know, we knew them really well. What we found is just like with us, there were ones that treated their horses like crap, and ones who treated their horses like saints. It all depended. You know, it, yeah. they, they didn't. They weren't all the same. Just like we're not all the same, right? So mm-hmm. it was true of that too. They do have a bad rap for that. Yet Ju- Jennifer actually boarded at an Amish farm at one point. And when we lived in Lancaster, she boarded there, and the guy was super. I mean, his horses were all fat and happy, and she loved it there because the guy took such good, such good care of the horses. So, you know, you never know. But anyway, also Authentic, who won the Kentucky Derby. Remember we talked about how it was owned by a consortium of people. It was the first one that you could go on MyRacehorse.com and buy a piece of the horse for like 60 or 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how many, how many owners that horse had at the time of the race? How many? 5,314. <laughs> wow. So they think now that this has been so successful that this is really going to become a thing. And I love that idea because we have 5,314 people who can honestly say I owned a Kentucky Derby winner. I am so bummed I didn't jump on this train. (laughs) Isn't that cool, though? And this started apparently June of uh, 2019 is when MyRacehorse.com started and this was one of the first horses in and ends up being the Kentucky Derby winner how cool I just a cool story all the way around it is well now the owners because this horse is going to be going to the Breeders Cup well Breeders Cup just announced no fans and they were all playing you know a bunch of them were planning on coming and partying together well apparently a lot of them are going to still descend on Lexington and they're going to party together so they're going to hang out and they're going to watch their horse together and I th- just think that's cool and they'll all make new friends I just what a great idea I don't know why that I don't know why that hadn't been thought of earlier unless it wasn't legal or something i don't know uh but we have to get to i want to also talk to you uh we have to get to our monthly segment with kevin here uh, right now but i want to talk to you after our guest by the way we still have tom america coming up hopefully um uh, i wanted to talk to you about your a show that we actually agree on that did very well in the emmy awards last night Yes. So we're going to talk about that coming up as well. But right now, we have to hear from Kimmon and talk a little bit about the horse health. Well, I have Michael back on with me. He's the key account manager with Kemen Equine. And Michael, one of the things that we've learned from our listeners recently is that they have a couple of serious concerns about their horses all the time when we talk about horse health. And that's the horse's feet and the horse's stomach. Uh, and digestive issues. Um, what I want to talk to you about today was gut health, because, you know, when you say the word gut health, it means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Some people think ulcers, some people think all kinds of different things, right? Uh, so when you talk about gut health over at Kevin Equine, what are you talking about? 
Um, well, we like to kick it off to the two main jobs of the digestive system or the gut. Everybody knows that that main function of the gut is to digest or absorb the nutrients needed for um, a lot of those core needs. So performance, health, reproductive, uh, reproduction, things like that. Um, but what a lot of people don't really realize is the gut has another huge function, and it's just as important as that digestion and absorption, and that would be the immune system. In fact, if we really look at it, about 70% of the immune system of animals resides in that GI tract or in that gut. So while the gut brings in these vital nutrients, it's just as essential to keep out those pathogens and those toxins, because remember where these animals are. They're exposed to it on a regular basis. So this means much more than just creating a barrier because, you know, within that barrier, there's numerous immune cells that live and function in and around that gut, um, trying to take out those invaders that are coming in. So it's really, to me and to, to Kevin, quite amazing when you really think about it, that both jobs, absorption of these nutrients and creation of this protective barrier is all being done by a single layer of cells in that epithelial layer of the intestine. So one layer of cells is doing all that work. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible when you think of, when you think about bodies, whether they're human or whatever. Uh, you, it is amazing what goes on that you know that on, on a on a on that small a level that most people don't even think about. With that being only one cell thick, I would assume it's you know it's always being bombarded with stuff and dealing with a lot of issues. What? What helps keep that going? What helps keep that strong? Well, you know, the gut is extremely resilient, you know, and, and with horses, <laughs> that's usually a word that we don't commonly associate yeah, with horses. Yeah, because they're always they're trying resilient. to hurt themselves, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but we put it through a lot. So for the most part, it can handle it. However, over time, if we're not taking care of it, those little small problems, those normal, what I call everyday instigators, they can actually get out of control. So we like to think of it kind of like a slow burn. So at first, you don't really notice anything, but over time, it can really create a significant amount of damage. So that slow burn that we like to talk about really is stress, whether it's heat stress, trailering, exercise, um, you know, just this is horses that kind of have that, that anxious attitude. Um, you know, they, they can really get out of control so over time, that horse is continuously exposed to these low levels of stress. Um, or if there's an episode where they, maybe they have a couple of different stressors that are occurring at the same time, that minor damage can actually lead to something uh, significantly worse. Um, so whenever we see that, we, we go back to that thinking about the single layer of cells and we start poking those little holes in it. And that's what we refer to as leaky gut syndrome. So oftentimes, you don't really become aware of that leaky gut issue until it has become a significant problem and it does get out of hand. And then it makes an obvious impact to that health or the performance of the animal. And, I, you know, I know that we're always trying to catch problems early before there's uh, any or too much damage done. So what, what do we look for? What are, what are we looking for when we're trying to discover that? Well, obviously, the first step, the best step is always prevention. It's easier to keep a horse healthy than it is to make a horse healthy and then keep it healthy. So um, always prevention is the first step. There's really no simple way to directly treat that damage to the intestinal barrier once it's happened. It's kind of like if we think about a cut on our skin. If we put some antibiotic ointment, a bandage, you know, that's really all that we can do to really target that specific area that's been damaged. Well, with the intestinal barrier, it's just, it's certainly not that simple. 
we need to make sure that we're feeding that gut, um, ensuring that those cells uh, that make up that barrier are getting the nutrients they need to repair themselves and to stay healthy. We need to look for ways to increase the good microbes in the gut. So whenever we talk about gut bugs, gut health, make sure that we're, we have the good bugs in there and that we're reducing the amount of those bad bugs. The reality is, however, that no matter what we do, there are going to be times when those problems happen. We just need to make sure that we're giving horses what they need to be as well prepared or equipped to maintain that healthy balance or to have the tools required to repair that. So I guess the, the best thing to think of is know your horse. You might notice that your horse isn't performing exactly as you, you know, you've expected in the past or you've experienced in the past. Um, so think about that main job of the gut. We go back to that. What's going on? Is that the digestion and absorption of nutrients decreased? If it is damaged, that intestinal's ability, intestines' ability to absorb those vital nutrients is impacted. And then, you know, you start to see those things that, that start to deteriorate, like hoof health quality or overall performance. So you might start to notice those changes in behavior as well. Your horse might either reduce feed intake, might get lethargic and go off feed completely. Uh, when you notice these changes, you need to look at what you're feeding. As I had mentioned, are you feeding the gut? Are you giving it the things it needs to take care of itself? Um, and then are there management changes that we can make as horse owners that help reduce that level of stress or the way that horse is managing that stress and that gives that horse a chance to heal? So at what point do we need to call in the vet again? You know, so that's, that's all really good things to be monitoring just by knowing your horse a little bit better and watching for those little subtle hints that there might be something going on. So what can we do to be proactive, to, to get ahead of it? First, be aware of the stressors that your horses are experiencing. We have this at Kemen. We have this really unique stress wheel. You can actually find it at kemen.com forward slash leaky gut. It identifies the different categories of stress that all of these horses experience. It doesn't matter if it's the horse grazing in the pasture or if it's a high-level performance horse. It helps you recognize what stressors can be causing um, causing some of these problems or those those little pinholes that we're talking about in the gut. Do you have a special uh, next, one? I got to ask you, do you have a special one for Hackney sure. Ponies? Because uh, I, I think he's more stressed than most. Right. <laughs> Everything. You, you name it. If it's, you throw it at the wall, if it sticks, it's a problem. <laughs> Especially for Hackney Pony. <laughs> yes. So the next thing is make sure you're feeding the gut, giving it nutrients it needs to maintain that healthy protective barrier and, uh, and making sure that we're not absorbing any of those pathogens or those toxins into the bloodstream. So Kemen Equine has a number of solutions that it can actually help identify or, or manage some of these issues that are coming in. Uh, a good example would be, number one, Butaprol's EQ. We've talked about this before. You know, it's a first product of its kind, and it provides a supplemental butyric acid and zinc that helps strengthen that single layer of the, the intestinal tract of the horse. Uh, next would be Clostat, so a proprietary probiotic, Bacillus subtilis, or PB6, and it really helps just target um, some of those equine-specific pathogens and a variety of Clostridium, um, and it acts as kind of a natural defense against those harmful pathogens. And then Chemtrace Chromium. So it's the only FDA-reviewed source of chromium propionate in horses that improves insulin sensitivity. You know, oftentimes as horse owners, we associate sugar as a bad thing. But we need to oftentimes remember that that sugar is actually what powers the immune response. So it's obligate for sugar. If we don't have enough sugar or if they're not an effective user of sugar, 
they don't have that fuel needed to power that immune system. So we need to make sure we're fueling that as well. These products are all nutritional solutions and not drugs. So the best results come from a combination of good management practices and improving that nutrition and by working with your veterinarian. Chem and Equine uh, is an ingredient company. We work with a wide array of top feed and supplement companies to bring these solutions directly to you. We want to make management and feeding the horse a lot easier and a little bit more intuitive. So we suggest reaching out to your preferred feed or supplement company and ask if they formulate these ingredients into their products. You can also visit Kemin, that's K-E-M-I-N dot com forward slash equine to learn more about where you can find our ingredients. Thank you, Michael. Well, again, we thank Kemin for their support of Horses in the Morning. We appreciate them being here with us every Monday. Uh, now, I apparently, I haven't been able to locate Tom. He was supposed to join us. That's Tom. Oh, no. So Tom Amara is supposed to join us this morning. He's president-elect of the U.S. Equestrian, uh, but I haven't found him yet. So we'll see if he pops in, or I don't know if something came up and he's been in communication with Jennifer. That's the joys of doing a live show. But in the meantime, let's talk about something. And for new listeners... <clears throat> Uh, it is a live show, so sometimes things happen. We never know, especially with uh, 2020. Who knows what's going on, but hopefully we'll get him on still. Uh, 2020. Don't blame it on 2020. 2019, 18, they were all like this. It's a live show. That's <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> so the, Jamie and I do not agree on anything when it comes to movies or television. We just don't. Uh, we don't agree on any of it, except for one show, and that's Shit's Creek. We agree on Schitt's Creek for I don't know whatever reason, but we both like Schitt's Creek. Because it's amazingly funny. <laughs> and I can't believe you like it because there's not a laugh track. You are like those silly, <laughs> stupid sitcoms I that have laugh tracks. Know. And this one doesn't. And you like it. Uh, I, it didn't have a live audience. See, that's the, that's why I, yeah. you know, they like Big Bang. Have live audiences. That's why they cackle the way they do. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Anyway, carrying on. This show is fantastic. I got to tell you that my mom is visiting. And... She Does watches. Your mom like it? Well, she sat down and she's like, "Okay, what, what, what?" She doesn't understand like Netflix and things like yeah. that. You have to choose what you want to watch. Is not you can't just like put on Fox News here. She's what or channel and what time still? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, we don't have that kind of television. We just have the things, you know. And so uh, she sits down, and I'm like, "You'll like this one." And so we play the first episode of Shit's Creek. Oh my god. I have watched and or li listened to as I'm walking to the house that music done dun, 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 <laughs> like a billion times. She's been watching it, binge watching the entire season. Now we don't have the last season here in the states. I think it comes out in October you sometime. Know, that's interesting because I was wondering how senior seniors would like that show. It's kind of out there. She loves it. Loves it. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. You, ha I have to be. A, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I haven't met anybody that's like. Mm, I just don't like it. It's not funny. It's so funny, which it was proven to be that because of the Emmys last night. Did you night. watch so, the Emmys, by the way? I, I don't have those kind oh, of that's television right. channels. That's so tell me, did they have like a actual normal Emmys? No. It was, uh, I didn't watch much of it. I saw a couple of the videos. It was socially distant, everybody from home. And actually, I thought it was better. The parts I watched, I thought it was better. Because it wasn't those awkward walking to the stage stuff. It was. It just, they did a pretty good job of uh, doing all these clips from home and stuff. I, I thought it was better. <laughs> I kind of liked it. But then I kind of had given up on watching them 
just because it just they got so long and boring. But Schitt's Creek did very well. Won Best Comedy, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Writing, and Best Directing. So they basically set the award for the most Emmys for any comedy show in one night. Wow. And now it's their so last crazy. year. Spoiler alert, everybody. It's their last year. That's no That's no big They've secret. They've already f- released it and filmed it. I already know yeah. what happens. But um, yeah, so uh, Alexis and Annie Murray won Best Supporting Actress. And then Dan Levy won Best Supporting, supporting actor. actor. Yep. And then the parents. And his dad were- won Best Actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then best directing and best. Uh, yes, the father uh, and son are father and son for those that didn't know that in the beginning. And then, of course, the daughter is the one who works in the cafe. His daughter. Yes. Did you know that? That's yeah. right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, it, it, Twyla. Now, if you want, if you love this show and you want to hear more about it, Dan the son, it w- was the one who he was the creator of the show and he's written most of it. And it, he was on David Tennant's podcast. David is an actor that you all know. If you look at his picture, you'd all know who he is, British actor. He has a great podcast and he does a ter- he's a terrific interviewer. And he had Dan Levy on just recently. Uh, I'm going to post a link to it in our show notes to that episode. But if you go look David Tennant's podcast and look for Dan Levy, you'll find it. Uh, Dan talked about why they quit this year, and he went into detail about it. He went into detail about how they started the thing and how his dad got involved. It was very interesting hour. It went by like that. Um, and David and Dan had worked together. It does seem like most of... Doesn't it seem like most of the British actors, the ones that you really know the names of, all work on on stage also? They all seem to be stage actors that also do TV and movies. Uh, But Dan talks about that a little bit with him. It was a fascinating interview. I highly recommend it. Wow, I just looked up that podcast, and it's called David Tennant Does a Podcast With. Yes. It's Dan Levy, Judy Dench. Judy Dench was fascinating, too. She was George Takai. Great show. I highly recommend this podcast. I've listened to every episode. And David Tennant, of course, he knows everybody. You know, he's been around forever. Uh, And he knows all these actors. So he's coming at it from a place of knowing them, but he's also a very good interviewer. He is really good. Not to be whatever, but at the bottom, it has hosts and guests. And there's a picture of Dan Levy as a guest, and it's not Dan Levy. Just so you know. They may have anyway. it mixed up. But yeah, Dan yeah. was on. It was a great interview. So I'll post a link directly to that episode if you want to listen. And our guest is ready. All right. So uh, coming up next is President-elect of the U.S. Equestrian, Tom O'Mara. Let's get him added in here and have a quick chat with him about what's going on. Or We have our own star power and celebrities on our podcast. That's right. <laughs> That's correct. All right. Let's get Tom on here. He's on Skype. So let's hope this works. It should. He's been a host on the shows for years. <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I am fine. You're on with Jamie and I, and we are live. Thanks for joining us. Hello. How are y'all? Hey. So, Tom, uh, this is fun to have you on the show. Of course, I, I was mentioning the audience that we've known each other for years and years because you're a host on one of our shows. On the yes, podcast. I have been exactly for many years there. Yeah. On the uh, on the NCAA, uh, uh, NCEA Plaidcast. That's correct. He, uh, handling the collegiate side and covering that and doing very well at that. And right. then then I heard a rumor a while back that uh, you apparently forgot to sit down when they were asking for volunteers to be president of the U.S. Equestrian. 
Um, and then they pointed to you and you were like, that's it. Uh, you're it. Uh, so was this something that you've always wanted to do? Was it always in mind to be president or did it just happen? Yeah, I, I, it just happened. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it, I guess it evolved a little bit in the most couple of years, but yeah, for the last 58 years of my life, I did not think this would be happening. Um, what happened was I, because of collegiate, Glenn, actually, I got involved. Uh, my kids, obviously, we were all riding and my wife. Yeah, you're a horse I, dad. I might want to mention that. You you were not a horse guy. You were a horse dad. You started out right. kind of like me as a horse husband, you know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I followed the whole family around. We were on the road with our little carnivals showing all over the place. And uh, I, I embraced it and they drew me into it. And then as I approached college, I just was trying to figure out that solution. If my children, three daughters and a son, were all doing this sport, what does it follow through in college? And that's when I actually approached, and it did, and there was lots of opportunities and I learned about it. Um, and they all explored those options, which was great. But I went to, I was out at a horse show at the Kentucky Horse Park with my son. And it was when Murray Kessler, the current president of the USEF, and Bill Maroney, the CEO, were working, uh, uh, were coming in, into their term. So it was about this time four years ago. And I called them up and I knew them uh, a little bit. And I said, I'd like to sit down with you and talk to you if you got some time. And they said, sure. And the, the topic was college equestrian. And I just kind of thought we were missing a boat a little bit as a sport. And I didn't just complain. I offered solutions. And a couple of months later, I was nominated for the board of the USEF as an independent director. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it happens. And you've done a great job over on the collegiate side, I might add. Uh, you've done a terrific job over there, and you've been one of the biggest advocates for that sport in college. Mm -hmm. uh, so thank you for doing that, because, again, that's so important, uh, and, and everything leading up to college, too, which I'll talk to you a little bit about. Yep. So so now um, you start your term as president in January. Are you kind of uh, shadowing right now or are you doing anything or do you just start in January? They throw you in the deep Oh, end. no. Yeah, there's a lot of work in the, in the handoff. It's, it's well planned and they've had this um, succession plan in place with previous presidents as well. Uh, you know, there is actually a four-year strategic plan that the board of the Federation um, works off of. And, you know, with any planning, you could have a two-year plan, a four-year plan, and a 10-year plan. Um, but this one happens to coincide with the new president coming on board. So, yes, I've been working with um, – well, my current role on the board, actually, I am currently the treasurer of the Federation. So there's been lots of work I've been involved with. Um, especially going through this difficult past year with the pandemic and how that's impacted our sport, not just individuals and barns and farms and horse shows, but the Federation as well. So, um, you yeah, know, because a lot of the income from the Federation comes from shows and correct, if they're not correct. happening, right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, so, so I, lots of planning there and, um, lots of new things we could do. And of course now we're resource constrained more so than ever because of the pandemic, but you know, I'm an optimistic guy. We'll get through it all, but yes, I've been very involved, um, working on most, a lot of things going on within the Federation and, um, uh, Murray continues to right through the end of the year, but there is a bit of a, we're, we're preparing to, uh, we, we work together on a number of things. I've given him a couple of thoughts I have. He's given me a lot of guidance and, um, and we're getting ready to pass the baton. Now, how long is your term? Four years. Four years. And do you get real, can you get reelected or is it four years and you're out? 
uh, you can get reelected. Yes. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. Yes. So, so I want to go back a little bit, though, because I kind mm-hmm. of, you know, we wanted to introduce you to the audience today. For those that don't know you or who haven't been over on the collegiate side or listening to the podcast, yeah. you were actually mm-hmm. in uh, the business world for a long time. Yes. Tell yes. us a little about that. Sure. Yeah. My background is uh, in the financial services business. I worked on Wall Street for 35 years, 30, 35 years. And um, actually I had my first summer job in 1979. I was just 16. And that was back then, Glenn, there were runners on the floors of the ex- exchanges and, and even on the upstairs trading floors. Uh, things weren't computerized yet. So um, I always tell the young people when they talk about the speed of trading today, and there's this term latency, right? How fast you can trade and get a response. I used to tell them I was latency when I was 16. It's how fast <laughs> I could run the thing across the floor. If two orders came in, if you and Jenny each sent an order in, and I picked one up off the you know the dot matrix printer and a, another young guy or girl picked one up next to me and we ran, whoever got there first, that order was executed first. So, so yeah. <laughs> you so were the original the text message. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's right. So, <laughs> So yeah, it was, we, we were not in tape still, but it was early. Um, it was in my lifetime. It was a lot different than the way they trade today. So, so yes, I worked on these trading floors and traded pretty much every security out there uh, over the years uh, and then, then around the world and um, on behalf of a number of very large investment banks and then a, a smaller U.S. investment bank. So, so what we did was I did a lot of comparison all day long of companies and uh, business plans and business models. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't officially trained as a consultant, but I was, uh, you know, I've got a graduate degree and kind of an MBA and you know, really focused on statistics and kind of quantum theoretical stuff in the finance world. Um, and I so think, that's how, I think yeah. though, Tom, I think that's why when I took a look, I actually went back this morning and read a bunch of articles that have been written about you taking this post and I read the comments and I couldn't find one negative one, which in today's world is unheard of. Um, but I think that's why a lot of people are so excited about you coming in is because you have a massive background in business and you know, sometimes we get horse people that don't have massive backgrounds of business doing things. And I think this job needs a person that knows, well, knows finances, you're already secret, secretary treasurer, but also just knows business because ultimately the, the U.S. equestrian is running a business. No, I agree with that. I think that's been a little bit of the transformation. And of course, Murray Kessler is a very successful businessman. He's been the CEO of a number of Fortune 500 companies, and he's turning around another one right now. Um, so, so I, but he was the first one along that um, model, and then I was, and then they added independent directors to the board. Um, so there are there were two, and then Murray was one of those and became president, and then I came in as one of the independents, and now there's three of the 19 seats are independents, which I think is very important for a board. Um, you know, the board of directors of the USCF only a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, the Federation has been going through a lot of adjustments and changes to, you know, the world constantly. And maybe people aren't aware of that all the time. Um, and that's, you know, our fault. And we have to make sure we get out and talk to people like uh, you guys on the show this morning to let them know that, you know, things are changing and, and we do a lot. Um, but the biggest thing that started changing a couple of years ago, the board of directors, I think it had like 55 people on it. And um, that's a large board. If people are familiar, it's usually 12 or maybe 20, maybe. Right. Right. So Christine Tauber, under her regime as president of the Federation, that that got cut down. 
to 19, which is what it is today. Um, and, and then Murray came in and stream, continued that momentum and we really streamlined things so decisions could be made faster. And that's probably some of the, um, uh, um, you know, the pe people have this perception of the Federation as maybe in the past, maybe being slow moving or along those lines, but we are really uh, trying to up the game for sure. And we are, and it's happening. And maybe everyone's still not, it's not up to everyone's level yet whether they want it to be, but it's definitely going the right direction. So, so yes. So the business background, I think really helps with that. And on my term on the board, there were a lot of issues that come forward in the sport across, you know, we have 29 breeds and disciplines uh, and 18 recognized affiliates and uh, 19 recognized affiliates. So um, there's a lot of, um, you know, issues that come up and opportunities, you know, it's not all negative. It's all half of the time it is and half the time they're positive things. Right. So, um, but there's a lot to respond to. And I do think having um, a good business sense is important for any sport and, 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 you know, I, I'm a big fan of others of sports and I've, followed sports and you probably have heard even in some of my podcasts about collegiate sports you know i always compare equestrian sport to other sports and you know it's not always comparable but there's you know a lot of things in common and that's what i look for and um and and it's really interesting i have looked though i was going to say my my reading list in the last six months has been um, learning how people have helped other sports as much as people within our sport just to see what that they can potentially bring to it and i read biography of uh, Bud Selig, Major League Baseball for the Good of the Game, and uh, Pete Rozelle, you know, his term with the NFL. These are guys, and by the way, they were businessmen, and they were the ones who bought those sports to where they are today in the world. So I, I know one of your goals is to, is, is to bring the, uh, horse sports into at least mainstream view, either through TV, trying to get spectator numbers up. What are your, how can we do that? I, you know, everybody said that for years and we've been saying yeah. it for, we've been doing these shows for 12 years and it's been something we've been talking about for 12 years, but how does it happen? How do we get people interested? Great question. Um, it does all tie back to the vision of the USEF, which I think is just a great statement. And I think this came about only a couple of years back um, when we started actually marketing the sport. Uh, but the vision is to bring the joy of horse sport, right, to as many people as possible. And we had a wonderful joy campaign. You probably have all seen it uh, over the last four years. I mean, we all know people in the horse world love horses, right? They love the sport. They love everyone has a different angle on it or a different take on it. But, you know, there's always some common denominator that makes us all love the sport. It's usually the horse. Um, so it's a wonderful thing. Um, so how do we get more and more people involved? The issue is, um, well, it's resources. So you can't just, everyone says it like you've said, Glenn, in the past, mm -hmm. but it's it's not easy. Um, and other sports didn't just suddenly turn on. It, it takes time, but we have to start down that track. And the good news is there's a lot of changes in technology today that will make it easier for us to kind of jump into the broader recognized sport game than, than in the past. Um, you know, I, what we do is we look at numbers, uh, at least I do, but a lot of people are now. There are 27 million people in the United States who sit on the back of a horse every year, right? And um, that's a lot. So that's the market. We know there's people who are interested in the, that. And then the American Horse Council says a third of all households have uh, someone in them who uh, loves horses. Um, and 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 doesn't mean everyone owns a horse. It just means they love horses. And um, so that kind of ties into the. 27 million people. It's about 30 something million households. And the other interesting thing that is very um, hopeful for our sport 
is those household, that number that they refer to, a third of all households have someone in them who loves a horse. That person they identified is usually under the age of 21. So it's not an old person sport is what that tells me. There's still lots of young people who love horses, even in today's world of, you know, crowding out for young people's time with social media or video games or whatever it's going to be. They still love horses. No, they might like video games about horses, but they like horses Um, (laughs) or dolls. (laughs) Right. But, But really, our vision is to bring in. So the joy is there and we've done a lot of great work on that. But here's what I think about our sport. And, and you, you, you two know this as well as anyone, uh, and your listeners do as well. Our sport is really a participant-driven sport, um, and the, the, the part that's defined as sport. Now, 27 million people sit on a horse. They don't all necessarily own a horse. They might be going out for a trail ride. You know, a third of all households has someone who likes a horse. They, they may never even go for a trail ride. They're just watching it, whether it's, you know, uh, rate, uh um, racing, horse racing, or or any of the horse sports, um, the show the show uh, horses that are out there in the world. So um, th- there's just an interest in it, but it's participant driven because really the way we have managed the federation uh, and all the affiliates, quite frankly, uh, and all the local horse shows and clubs uh, around the country um, in all different breeds and disciplines. You know, it's always a bunch of people coming together, you, you know, with a horse to ride a horse, to take a lesson, to go to a barn or to go show a horse at a horse show. And um, and so it's really inward focused, participant driven. Um, and you're correct. We don't have a lot of fans because there is a physical hurdle. You know, people always talk about the financial hurdles to being involved with horse sport. And, and I honestly, obviously, <laughs> I'm very well aware of that, having had four children and my wife all ride horses. So I understand that hurdle. But the other hurdle, you know, is a physical uh, um, uh, hurdle. Location, you know, people who live in inner cities, um, there's not a lot of farms there. You can't access farms or outdoor space or even a horse, right? Um, so you got to go to a farm or a barn or a horse show. And they're, they're, they're not as readily available as a basketball court, a baseball court, tennis court, you know, whatever. Um, I used to kid people when I was younger. I remember this statistic someone once told me about Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn's part of New York City. It's one of the five boroughs. There are uh, 20-something, 18-hole golf courses in the borough of Brooklyn, New York, right? I didn't so, know that. <laughs> so it's a crazy number, right? So it's big, right? There's a lot of space there. But but those are probably disappearing. They're probably not as many as there were when I was a kid. But there's not. But there's probably not that many barns in the borough of Brooklyn, New York. So my point is, it's just something that people have to go and travel to and find their way to or go watch a horse. So, so building fans, we've always thought of it in a physical context. You know, come to a horse show, come to a barn, come to a clinic. And to me, you know, and and then the other part is you can reach people through television, which is crazy expensive. And in the past, when our sport is addressed. The television market, you know, cost a million dollars to put on a, you know, whatever, a 30-minute show. At yeah, midnight. for NBC to show up at, <laughs> uh, at Kentucky, right? And, you know, right. do that. You know, what? I've been saying this, Jamie, this is broken record. Jamie's going to go, oh, this again. Um, one of the things I've always said is that we have to make horse shows a party. If we're going to put seats in the butts, it has to be more than the horse show. There has yeah. to be a, a fun thing for people to come to. I'll give you an example. Fair Hill years ago when they did their 
when when we'd go to Fairhill uh, and watch the event there, there would the carriage drivers were there the same time as the as the riders, and they had an agility dog show that would bring because the place was huge, you could do all of those things. But there were tens of thousands of spectators because it, some were coming to see the dogs and ended up watching the horses. Some were coming to see the carriages, and that all went away because, to be honest, the riders didn't like having the carriages of the dogs there. And then the yeah. spectators went away. So, you know, who's doing this really well is actually Saturday Night Lights down in Wellington, right? Uh, yeah. They make it a party. They make it fun. There's activities. There's concerts going on during the show or at, right after the show or in the middle of the show. They just mm-hmm. make it a party. And I think we have to do that. We have to get people to come in maybe deceptively and then go, oh, this horse thing's kind of cool. But I don't think we do it enough. Kentucky does it, right? The, the event there does it. Uh, oh, yeah. Land Rover does it, but we right. need that kind of thing uh, more around the country. There's no doubt that that is, and, and it, it's done in many places and I hear about it constantly, but you, the way to connect all that is difficult though, for the masses, for people who are not horse show participants, unless it happens to be one of those great shows that throws on all those extra things in your neighborhood, you wouldn't hear about those things. If you're out in uh, you know, up in the Northeast. You no, know, it's a very local thing. It, it's going to be, you're drawing from your town, you know. Where, where, so yeah, yeah. to me, those are all very important things, but we can also connect them on a national level through today's new technology. It's not linear broadcasting on NBC, although that still exists. You know, the only live sport on live horse sport on television is horse racing, right? Yep. And even to your point, horse racing, I read an article about, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review, actually, maybe, 20 years ago, there was an article about how the Triple Crown was in decline from a fan perspective. And all the horse people loved it. And, you know, again, horse participants, thoroughbred breeders and owners and and and, and riders and vets and all those then track owners, they were all interested in it. But the rest of the country was losing interest in it. So how did they turn it around? They came in with a, a group, came in and said, we have to market this, not as a ra- uh, horse race, but as a lifestyle event which is why there's been a huge resurgence in it and you watch the triple crown races those parties they've always existed we all know about the infields of triple crown races but they are now fashion shows hollywood celebs sports stars they're all going to the triple crown and dressing up food and that's the <coughs> food food yep. yeah that's their their key contact with their only contact with horses during the year is going to one of those events so that's why uh, there's been a resurgence in those in, in that entity, which has been great for them. But 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 again, there was you know big numbers. Everyone in the country, you could sell ads on 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 television. But today, the the real difference is today we have you know digital distribution, and that's really where it's going to be going. It's a lot easier. You can reach a lot of people, not just horse people, because as you know, uh, more people are listening to things like your, uh, the HRN, or uh, it's all digital now. Um, I mentioned those four kids of mine before, and I'll mention them again because it's a good anecdote. But, you know, they're in their 20s. They're all out flying on their own, and they all live in their own apartments. And I always tell people on the wall in those apartments for these 20-somethings is this thing called a flat-screen TV. Not one of them have their flat-screen TV hooked up to a cable or satellite. We were just talking about that. Jamie's uh, Jamie's disconnected too. She's you know, she's, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the stats are for twenty year olds or twenty five to thirty five. I forget the exact frame. Um, it's like seventy percent of them received their primary form of entertainment now digitally. So the good news is that costs a lot less than 
and nothing against NBC, but going linear mainstream and, um, and we can do it. Um, so, so, and again, it's not just going back to, it's not live streaming a horse show. So, you know, parents and grandparents who can't get to the show can watch Johnny or Jenny in the ring. It's, it's, it's creating content that's interesting, not just sport, but entertainment, all those things and putting it out to, um, on, 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 uh, Amazon prime or on, um, you know, it's going to be out there. And, and there's, it's some of this is starting to get out there with a, a number of the networks. So it's really an interesting avenue for us. And I think it gets more eyeballs on our sport and gets an interest in it. And then they might start looking things up locally and come to the show for the Saturday, Saturday night lights down in Wellington or, you know, I was talking to the woman who ran the World Cup out in uh, Lisa Roskins, ran the World Cup out in Omaha. Yep. And, you know, they run shows there all the time now since then. And they have a whole series of shows out in Omaha, Nebraska. They bring, when you said the number 10,000, that's what we remember. In a weekend, they bring some number, like 10,000 fans in Nebraska through who are not all showing a horse or owning a horse or competing, but watching. And it's because they they hold, you know, uh um, you know, forums and seminars and fun things for the kids. And they do all the things that, you know, you were just talking about should be done, but it is done all over the country. And that's definitely helping grow our sport. I think one of the good things that's come out of COVID is this is one of the battles Jamie and I have had since the beginning of this show. Um, it, you know, 2,500 episodes later, right? Uh, we had the battle in the beginning of the Horse Radio Network, you know this, uh, teaching people how to listen to podcasts. Horse people have always been a couple years behind technology-wise. And I, you can all get mad at me, but it's true. Um, you've all been a little behind technology-wise until recently. And I think COVID has really brought the horse world up to technology-wise. Uh, you know, a lot of horse people have never done Zoom or any of those things. And now, you know, now with the, the onslaught of podcasts, we were the only ones for a long time, and that was a bunch of them, right? Um, and that's all good because it teaches people how to listen, and nobody listens to just one thing. So I think COVID has helped and is going to continue to help just what you said. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the other thing, too, you moved to Ocala. You finally got out of the city, and now you're in Ocala. And you're my neighbor yep. here, mm -hmm. and we have, I think, the World Equestrian Center is going to do amazing things for for the horse sport, for horse world, and for spectators. And one of the things he has plans for, and we've had him on the show a number of times, you know, he has plans. They're going to bring concerts in there. They're going to bring dog shows in there. It's not just going to be horses there at the World Equestrian Center. And you know that people are going to descend there to watch things because there's a lot of fun things going on at once. That's right. Th those are the types of things that definitely, uh, I mean, and Ocala's just known for that um, with, you know, all breeds. Uh, people always ask me, hey, you live in Ocala now, uh, you know, the horse capital of the world. And then, you know, my son went to University of Kentucky and the water tower in Lexington, Kentucky also says horse capital <laughs> yes. of the world. So people are like, well, what's the and, the USEF headquarters is in Lexington, Kentucky. So I have been now in, since I was elected in June, I've been going back and forth uh, to the office in Lexington from Ocala like once a month now for a couple of days. I'll go up there all socially distanced. And, you know, most of the people are not in the office up there yet. But I always I laugh because I'm driving between the two horse capitals of the world. Um, and I did look at, Glenn, how to explain that to people. Uh, Lexington, Kentucky has the right to say that because they have the most thoroughbreds, I think, in their county yes, of any that's county. Right. That's correct. And then, and you probably know this yep. already, but Ocala, Florida has the right to say it because we have the most breeds, the most numbers of oh, types of horses. If you drive around Ocala, it's backyard horse owners with five horses in their backyard everywhere. Right. Whereas in Kentucky, it's the big farms. Right. Uh, that is the difference. We have a 
we have a million horse owners here. Um, well, that's what, yeah. and that's what I love about. This. So that's why my wife and I. Well, first of all, we, we, why did we pick? Why did we move to Ocala? We came down from New Jersey, and we moved here two years ago. And honestly, um, we came to Ocala from two thousand ish to two thousand and ten with our children when they were young, and we were showing out at Hits for ten years for the whole winter circuit. We would come down here. And um, we fell in love with the place. It's just beautiful, uh, rural, agricultural. People are great. And then we just recognized, I mean, as I would drive from wherever I was staying, one of the hotels along 75, out to the horse show every morning at 6.30 and the fog coming up and these beautiful, you know, fields with horses and cattle grazing. Um, you know, it was just, it was just a beautiful uh, a spot. We always said someday, you know, we'll come back here. So once the kids were all out of the house, we made that decision. But what you said about um, World Equestrian Center and all the other venues here in town, it's really offers so much for people. And people here do, you know, take advantage of that. Um, trail riding is huge here. People may not know that, but trail riding is huge. Yeah. We have more trails here probably than anywhere in the, you know, other than when you get into the mountains. We have more trails here than anywhere on the East Coast probably. Um, there are just a ton of them. Yeah, I read about, you know, we've been out a couple of times in some of the local trails here, starting off those Santos trail yeah, system. Yep, yep. And uh, as that heads west in, from Ocala, um, I was told that there's a series of trails heading northeast from Tampa. And that these trails, which are, by the way, they're, it's road, you know, paved bicycle trail, as well as a mountain bike off-road trail, as well as a horse trail, um, um, that those trails are going to connect yes, and that they're only about 20 miles apart. So it's really remarkable. You could actually at some point in the next year or two or whenever they finish that, I'm sure it's been put on hold with COVID, um, but uh, you will be able to technically ride a horse or a bike <laughs> or hike from Ocala down to Tampa. <laughs> so uh, it's really remarkable the things that are available here for people who love horses and the outdoors. But a friend of mine called me up and said, so how do you settle in you know, a year ago or so from up north? How do you settle in? What are you doing down there? And I said, well, this, you know, the, he said, the circuit's over. It hits. You, you, you're, you're not down there watching hunter jumpers. I said, no, but I went to a driving world champion, a U.S. championship of driving uh, at Live Oak. I went to a, an eventing pre uh, that same week. We went to a major rodeo over at the Livestock Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we went to a huge Clydesdale show down at the Florida Horse Park. Um, it, it's just remarkable what you can see in this town. If you love horses, I'm not doing an ad now for Ocala, but it's really amazing what's in Marion County. Well, I have time for one okay, more question. Okay, okay, we get it, we get it. Ocala's the best, and we all suck for not living there. But That's right, you do, on. Jamie, you Come do, on. Jamie. All right, so Jamie, one more question. Jamie, where are you, Jamie? I thought you were down here, too. Some of us are stuck in Oklahoma. There's lots of horse shows in Oklahoma. It's like the quarter horse capital of the world. So I just I just have the wrong breeds. Yeah, you just have the wrong saddle, Jamie. That's all. I what we have time for one more quick question. I want to I thought you guys have done actually. We we started reporting on this first in the horse world, the whole COVID thing. And I thought you guys really have handled it well. Horse shows are running, you know, you're getting your complaints from the anti-maskers or whatever, but that's true of life in general, right? Uh, how do you do we see things just continuing to go as they are until the vaccine? Is that the magic thing here is a vaccine at this point? Well, it looks like that's the case. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I don't and, know what other answer there'd be. Right. Unless yeah, it dies out, which, you know. Yeah. The only thing we could. That's what I like to tell people about horse sport. In fact, when the decision was, you know, we shut for almost three months. It was 11 weeks. USEF. 
said, um, you know, would not sanction points in any horse shows. So, um, by the way, someone, you could have held a horse show back then. It just couldn't have been USEF horse show. And, um, when, and, but everyone was nervous and didn't know when to, what to do. And they still don't. Right. Um, so June 1st, we opened it up and honestly, horse sport has really been one of the first sports to reopen. Now that's good and bad. Um, because I remember when we were doing it, I kept thinking to myself and there was a couple of different committee calls and the board call. And all I kept thinking was, you know, there's a lot of people riding horses in the country, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> um, there's 2,300 licensed USEF horse shows a year in the United States. Um, you know, we, we don't have a USEF police officer at every one of these things. We don't even have police officers, just so everyone knows. But my point <laughs> is, it's not like we're there watching. Really, people have to police themselves and, and, and abide by the rules and regulations set in place. And as you guys know, take any group of a lot of people and not everyone's going to abide by any type of rule. I mean, you can sit there and look at a stop sign and, you know, one out of 20 people still go through the things they've been there since the beginning of the time. So we just knew that was going to happen. So my only concern about being one of the first sports to open up, the other one I think was golf. And, um, and that's again, both of them being outdoor sports and you can be socially distanced and it's probably good for people to get outside and do things. And of course, in equestrian sport, the horses still needed exercise and needed to be worked. So we needed to do that for the horses. But the only worry I had is when we reopened that if everyone didn't um, kind of, a, you know, uh, a, follow the toe the line, then we would um, run into problem from, you know, publicity thing. So you just don't want to be on the front page of the New York Times as, oh, look at horse sports, a bunch of idiots are the first people went out and started riding horses. But we needed to. And um, the good news, the great news is if you really think about it, Glenn, and look at what just happened with uh, the pandemic, equestrians across the country are just, well, we, we already know they're great people, but really they, we've done a good job. Now, yeah, there were some maskers and things like that, anti-maskers, but, you know, they're the minority. And um, at the end of the day, folks wanted to do the right thing for their animals and for their fellow equestrians and for the sport. And it's been a success so far. So, um, listen, we're not back to, and, and, nor should we. There's some states that are still closed, right? They're still yeah, we forget in, about that, especially right? living in Florida where, you know, That's nothing's right. closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. What is it? Is it Oregon? I think Oregon is still, or Washington State and Massachusetts was a little slower to open. They didn't open in June or allow the phase three of outdoor activity. So, so really year over year since June 1st, USEF sanctioned shows. We're running at 65% of the number of shows and, and about 65% of the number of horses in those shows um, over since June 1st through the end of August anyway. Um, so that's pretty good given a lot of states in the summer months, there's a lot of horse shows outside. I mean, some states were just shut down. And 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 the number of issues, they they exist, you know, there's no doubt. But they they're pretty they're, they're they're under control and actually it's just it's been a great sampling of any sport anywhere that it can be done. So to your question, I know I go off on these things sometimes, but your question I think is what happens in the future? We're just planning for more of that. Um, you know we're going through indoors and then there's the traditional kind of month off in December-ish, although it's changed over the years, and then you know the season really starts December first, the new season. Um, and a lot of people took the time just not to show and made a personal decision to, you know, not want to be around other, uh, and take the risk of being around the other people and people of high risk categories should not. I agree with that. So, 
you know, everyone kind of was very responsible with their own decisions and took that responsibility. And it's been working so far. I'm knocking wood. And then, um, I, so we're only planning for that going forward. Okay. Um, and, and, and hopefully, you know, we all get surprised that somehow there's a vaccine and, and, and it actually works and many people can get it. And who knows when that's going to happen, right? All right, good. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations again. Uh, you know, I'm very excited that uh, you're going to be heading, heading the ship. Yeah, well, thank you very much. We look forward to it. Lots of opportunities, and we're looking forward to a great, uh, a great future in the horse sport. Thank you. All right, we'll have you back after you've uh, started, and then we'll see yeah. if you still feel the same way. Okay. That's right. That's what my wife. Said. I heard her saying that to someone the other day. She said, "You know, he hasn't started yet. Let's see how he does." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Take care now. Well, there you go. The new boss come next year. Uh, he's a very positive, upbeat guy. He always has been ever since I've known him. So. Um, and, and, uh, he likes us, Jamie. So look at that. We, we have the first boss at the USEF that likes us. So well, we, it's about time. <laughs> we had to get to it in a roundabout way, but, uh, you want to do some equestrian first world problems. We'll go from serious to very serious. What do you think? It's very sad. Go ahead. Very sad. Yeah. First world problem. First world problem. First world problem. Well, let me remind you, if you have an equestrian problem, it is a first world problem. And these problems are shared by our auditors, the people that uh, um, I sub- I put a post up on Sunday night, Monday morning, and to say, what are your problems? And uh, these are real. These are real things that people are dealing with. You know, so you never know somebody's story when you meet them. And some of them have pretty sad ones. Like, let's start with Anna. And Anna, I kind of feel your pain. The rescue I trained for has adopted out so many horses this year that there aren't any left for me to train. (laughs) Was that you? Did you write that? (laughs) I did not because, you know, sadly, the thoroughbred world just, they just keep pumping them out. So there's plenty, uh, you should start working for a thoroughbred rescue. There you go. Um, Teresa says it's fall in New England, which means 30 degrees in the mornings before work and 60 in the afternoons when I get home. How the hell am I supposed to be blanketing my ponies for the day? <laughs> Take it better that they're a little cold than a little hot. Yeah, Take you know, hot. that is a tough time of year when it when that happens. It is, you know, like if you want to take off the blankets like 10 a.m., well, you can't because you're at work. So right. better to take them off before you leave. <laughs> yep. They'll be all right. Or work at home. Um, Robin says, my dad is in town to help build the interior of my new barn. But now I don't have time to ride my horses because I'm too busy putting their stupid stalls together. <laughs> that was the biggest problem we had as horse owners of a large farm. Is you By the time you got done with all the maintenance, you never had time to ride. Yeah, Matt's having kind of a similar problem. I got my parking pad mostly completed this weekend, but now I need sand for my 50-foot round pin that I'm building before the ground freezes. It's this <laughs> tiny window uh, that you have. Yeah. Uh, Terry, <laughs> Terry says, uh, my basically her first world problem is when the announcer says, please haul up on the jump rounds. We have a rogue horse that is back in the dressage uh, arenas. <laughs> loose horse. And that was me. I was that girl. <laughs> Oh, was her horse or she was in the ring? Yes, it was her. (laughs) It was her. She says, yes, I was at that girl day for me. (laughs) Wait a minute. This deserves this. I don't want to be that girl. I am 
am so proud to hand my crown, to share my <laughs> crown with others listening. Glenn made that for me, that sound effect. And yes, well, I was about like 10 years ago, and you were the sole one for about eight years. So listen, I take a lot of crazy horses to a lot of crazy places. It's bound to happen. Um, Marissa says, <laughs> I haven't had a massage in seven months. But my horse got one just yesterday, and I'm not going to lie, I was kind of jealous. <laughs> like, can you can you get me? Do that? you think massage oh. businesses are just being killed through all of this? I mean, I people massage I, businesses. I take a massage. You know, I've got my head in that little hole. I'm fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, they have had to see a decrease in business. Kim says that um, she's going to be showing for the championships in Del Mar this week. But her dilemma is, do I wear my lucky socks the first day of the show or the last day of the show when I have two rides? If she was um, truly committed to those socks, she'd be wearing them every day. Yes. Every day, every girl. Day. I actually, um, I, like whenever, whenever I ride cross country, spoiler alert, I have underwear that has a Superman logo on it. Because I don't know, I feel like on cross country day, I need that added boost of like Superman to get me through over the jumps. And so, um, when I went to the store, I found some different Superman underwear. So I bought like every kind. So I have several different Superman underwears. Um, so yeah, you just got to commit and wear them every day. Yes. Wear them every day. And you know what? There is a sink in the hotel. You can wash them. That requires her to hand wash, Glenn, and nobody <laughs> likes doing that. It's awful. Take them in the shower and then blow dry them when you blow dry your hair. It's so hard. Um, Kelly says, my phone has been bugging me to upgrade, and I keep refusing because I don't want to, like, crash and lose all my horsey pictures, like the last phone. But now it won't let me listen to the auditor feed upgrade until, until I upgrade. Can can I just make a suggestion to uh, everybody out there that remember we were talking about how horse people are technologically challenged? We were just talking about that. Uh, Back up your phone to the to online. Most phones, it's very easy to back up. Like plug it into your computer or something. No, no, most phones do it automatically now. Set your backups up. Google it with your phone. Set your backups up. Where do they go? They go into the cloud. You go find them. You bring them down. Apple makes it so easy. That makes no sense to me. Why there'd be some cloud of photos up above me I can't see. You just really, really want to do that. And then you could back up your phone and not have to worry about a damn thing. Just say Here's what I would do, Kelly, is I would email myself all of the pictures in your phone (laughs) that you definitely want to keep. She would. I bet you you have done that. Betsy, 12 I'm at a time. <laughs> from experience or upload them to like Shutterfly. So then if something you does happen. You put them happen, on Facebook so you don't lose them. That is exactly how I keep all my photos. <laughs> and then at the end of the year, I make my little like Christmas album for Chad and I just suck them all out of Facebook. It's perfect. <laughs> um, I'm glad Kaylee we can be says, of help today, by the way. Yes, I mean, just email them all to yourself. You'll be fine. Um, Kaylee says, I get to go saddle shopping. Yay! But it's like for my kid. (laughs) (laughs) What Um, percentage of pictures on your phone do you think are actually ones that you really should keep? You know, you never know when you're going to need a photo of Zeus in a Santa hat, Glenn. And so I keep it. <laughs> yeah, but nobody just ago. takes one picture of Zeus in a Santa hat. They take 12. I might have about 
a string of like, I, I went like, you know, because the only And then you never delete the old ones. And then you go in years later and you have tens of thousands of pictures. And then you go, oh, I'm not looking through these. What a mess. But it's so cute. I have to get some when he shakes the head off and his little head sideways and twisting. And I'm not speaking from experience here at all. I'm just saying. All right, go on. Sharon says, I spent several hours spreading sand in my new arena today, but by the time I was done, it was too hot to ride. (laughs) Allison says, I used the Monty Roberts method to get my dominant OTT bear TB to catch me when she sees the halter. And now she chases off all my easy to catch horses when I go to the pasture to get them. (laughs) It's true. It's like, catch me. I'll come. Cool. Um, TJ says every time, and this is very true. I saw the photo. Every time I take a picture of cash and I doing something cool. And that doesn't happen often because I'm usually the one taking the pictures cash decides. It's like a great time to show off his unit. <laughs> and he I bet you she didn't that use unit. that word. Did she? Uh, she did. She wrote unit. She knows, oh, okay. she knows. Uh, yeah, she wrote unit and, um, and he was, Showing it off loud and proud. Um, Jane says it's worse when they do that, and and you're in the you're in the ring getting your awards in the award ceremony. That's the worst time for them to do that. Put that thing away. (laughs) So you've just got your blue ribbon pictures of that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I need a black box to like crop this thing out. Good lord. Uh, Last one. Jane says I went on a trail ride today on one of my horses, which was totally awesome. But when I got back to the barn, I was too tired to ride my other horse. (laughs) First world equestrian problem. I mean, come on. That's a good one. Yes. um, I'm sorry. I have too many horses and like not enough energy to like ride all my horses. Yes. Remember these people wrote these, they submitted them and their auditors, Glenn, if they, if, if, if somebody's listening and they say, how do I become an auditor? I want to submit my equestrian first world problems. Where do they go? (laughs) <laughs> you go to horseradionetwork.com, scan down the right side of the page, and go to the auditor banners for as little as $3 a month. You, too, can complain, and we'll read it on the air. That's what we do here. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, we only have a few minutes left, but hold on. Uh, auditors, we'll chat with you. There's one thing I wanted to talk to you about real quick after the show. So uh, we'll do that, and auditors get that privilege, too. We do a little bit of extra, and they have a private feed where they can listen to that. Uh, tomorrow is the Western episode with Tara. We'll be here, and then we'll be back on Wednesday as usual. And, Jamie, you have a couple new horses in training, so maybe we'll talk about those on Wednesday. They're giant. The one video I saw probably of you riding there. that one, how big is that one horse I saw? 17-2, but he's also <laughs> as wide as he is tall. He is just the most solid, solid thoroughbred I've ever what seen. What do you get, a stepladder out? Is that how you did it? Man, the three-step, so you notice my stirrups are a little long. Yeah, because Abby you look like you were riding a dressage saddle, but it wasn't. <laughs> No, it's my beater saddle, saddle that the first one's right. But the, my stirrups were too long. And, but then I was like, well, maybe it'll help me stick on a little bit better and help me get my foot up, you know, into the stirrup from the mounting block. Well, Sarah, our, uh, our friend Charlotte will tell you, get on the back of the, uh, the bed of the pickup truck. We'll help you get on a tall horse. That's how He's not that trained yet. We'll get it. <laughs> 
You're not getting near a pickup truck. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you again. And thank you, new listeners, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And also to Kem and Equine for supporting today's episode. Kem and Equine. Spay, neuter, and geld. Woo-hoo.